Hello, this is Champ 180, and I'm your host, your helper and friend, Adam Childress. If you're listening and expecting a kumbaya session on what you want to hear, this may not be the show for you. We are committed to encouraging and developing champion-like individuals who desire to learn, grow, improve in the five core areas of champ. I'm real, transparent, and say what's on my mind with no fluff or puff. So listen up, because today is your day. Stay tuned. Hello, and thank you for listening to the Champ 180 podcast. Today, we are going to discuss how we can translate cybersecurity methods into how we secure our children's life from unwanted attackers and trolls to their character, attitude, and mind. I have with me a special guest, Nathan Long. So Nathan is a technology veteran, having spent 24 years in cybersecurity and a priest with the Anglican Church of North America. He spent 17 years in bivocational ministry and is presently working on a dissertation in practical theology at Sioux Falls Seminary, where he is also about to complete a two-year program in spiritual direction. More importantly, he is the husband to Elisa and father of four children, bridging the adult and almost adult stage of life. Thank Thank you, Nathan, for being here. Oh, my pleasure. So, Nathan, can you explain from your experience and expertise, what exactly is cybersecurity? Cybersecurity is, is fundamentally maintaining confidentiality, integrity, and accountability, if I remember correct. It's CIA. I'm off the top of my head. I forget what each one is. Um, but so then there's all the methods that you go about establishing that electronic confidentiality, authentication, authorization, etc. The integrity of the data. And the hacker, of course, is trying to take advantage of our human nature. I think it might be availability. Confidentiality, integrity, and availability, perhaps. But anyway, the attacker is trying to take advantage of our human nature in order to either social engineer us or take advantage of common mistakes. A social engineering would be one-on-one, we're talking over the phone or via chat or email, whatever the case might be. And I convince you that I'm someone who you want to help. Mm-hmm. So social engineering. That happens when uh, an attacker calls the cell phone company and convinces them to switch out your SIM phone, your SIM card for a new SIM card. And suddenly your number no longer rings on your device. It now rings on the device that's controlled by the attacker. Wow. And that's happening in waves right now. Interesting. So cybersecurity, I could just go on on and on with all these examples. So Nathan, I know you have your own podcast for cybersecurity. Yes. So why don't you uh, briefly explain that so that people can go to that if they want more information on cybersecurity. So I've done two seasons of the Cyber Chronicles. And the whole point is to make them um, narrative heavy. I wanted to tell stories to teach people. That way it um, sticks in your mind. And it's the basics of what you need to know. The season one, episode one, is about SIM swapping and what you can do to prevent your entire life being taken over by a SIM swapper. Um, I don't remember what season, what season one, episode two is, but we just moved, you know, one of them is on passwords. One of them is on email. One of them is on the dangers of social media and what inform the fact that privacy is extinct. So for example, if you've answered security, anyway, we just talked about all of those type of things. SSID. 
you know. Yeah, that too. Uh, Wi-Fi stuff, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And it's called... Um, the Cyber Chronicles. Cyber Chronicles. So if they look up Cyber Chronicles on... It's available anywhere you can download a podcast. So okay. Apple, Podbean, whatever the case might be. Perfect. Um, so you listeners, if you want more information on cybersecurity, need to find out more. Moving on. Um, thank you so much, Nathan, for explaining cybersecurity. That way we can know the next, what we're talking about. Um, so Rudolph uh, Drakers says this, we cannot protect our children from life. Therefore, it is essential that we prepare them for it. So the method we use to protect our network and computers from being hacked, let's discuss that and translate that in a social sense. So Nathan, how can we protect our children's minds, character, and attitudes from being hacked? These traits are vital for daily living. We toil and work hard on developing their character and personalities and behaviors. But it doesn't take long for someone, a life hacker, an imposter, to infiltrate their minds to reprogram them for destruction. How do we create a firewall for a method of protection against these individuals, these hackers, who want to harm or induce a mental virus in our children? In the world of cybersecurity and in the world of raising up our children to be resistant to um, reprogramming, it's deceit that is the primary tool of the adversary. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I'm your bank. You can trust me in cybersecurity. I want to talk to you about love in the real world, right? So in the real world, it's, it's equipping our children to number one, be well-educated and have the foundations in place. And then number two, to be ready to recognize authenticity and its opposite. Um, Classical education trains up the children in the last phase of their pre-college era in what's called rhetoric. Mm -hmm. The ability to utilize and recognize powerful communication. And so having obtained the basics, and by the basics we mean they need to be well established in the Bible. They need to know how to read and analyze information. They need to not only know how to read it, but they need to be able to turn around and communicate their thoughts and ideas with effect. So they need to be able to be persuasive and to recognize when someone else is trying to be persuasive to them. Mm-hmm. Why is vocabulary essential? Why is um, the languages behind the vocabulary essential? So that when someone misuses a word, you can go, wait a minute, the Latin root of that word means something different. And well, the way you're saying it doesn't match with that. Why is that? Right? You may not have ever even heard that word before, mm-hmm. but you know what the two compound parts of the word both mean. And you put them together and you're like, yeah, it doesn't add up to what you're trying to say. Um, that's the type of thing I mean by preparation. And then when you are able to effectively and with integrity communicate persuasively, when you hear someone communicating to you in a manipulative rather than integral manner, you'll recognize what's being run on you. When someone begins to use terms that are special to you or to your people, but they're changing the definition Red flags will go up all over the place. And the child will be like, time out. 
That's not what love looks like. Because what's, what's being run on us at a colossal cultural level right now is the total redefinition of everything we hold to be true and valuable. Mm -hmm. And so that takes in many, many, many people because they hear justice, compassion, love, kindness, and they want to participate in that. Mm -hmm. But the problem is only one being can define what love really is. And to want to love someone Christianly does not necessarily tell you how to do so. So one, one of my favorite authors, J.I. Packer, said, love needs law as its eyes. Meaning you can want to love someone with that agape love, but how to do it requires that you understand God's character so that you can apply it to what is in the loved one's best interest. If we want to make it simple, no mother lets her young toddler find out that you shouldn't touch a hot stove by letting them touch it. Yeah, that's true. Right? Now, and it might make the toddler upset. Yeah. But if that mother loves the toddler, she's going to say, no, don't do that. Now, what's the scenario where the mother might say, you're going to have to learn the hard way? <laughs> Six, seven, 15 times you've been told no, and you keep going back to that stove. But then what does the mother do? She still provides a controlled environment. She doesn't leave the room and say, well, whatever happens, happens. Yeah, that's no, true. She might say, okay, you're going to have to learn in a way you won't forget. But then she's right there to snatch that hand up or the, the baby off the floor or whatever it is to make sure they don't get harmed more than is necessary. Right? But in today's world, we're being told, whatever I want, love gives me. Well, that redefines who God is. It makes the demander God rather than acknowledging that God is sovereign and God says what is good for you and what is not good for you. And this is the same battle that happened in, in um, the Garden of Eden, but it's being couched in terms that make it seem different. It's not. It's direct and primary idolatrous rebellion against God. Hmm. It's an attempt to say, I define me. In other words, there are only two options available to mankind. Autonomy, which is self-rule or self-governance, or theonomy, God rule or uh, God as standard. There, we talked about compound words, theonomy, theos, God, namas, rule or standard, or auto, personal, self, um, nami, namas, mm. man governance or man as standard. And so we have to choose. Is God God or am I God? And all of the chaos that we are experiencing in today's culture is millions of little gods demanding that they be respected yeah. for their will. Well, first of all, that cannot function. The closed-loop system of the cosmos only has room for one god, and it's yod heh That's why there's chaos. That's what brings chaos. Dale Carnegie wrote a book. Um, how to win friends and influence people. I just bought it. I love it. I have the uh, audio book as well. And I think uh, he was talking about, I don't want you to get off, get off track, which what you were saying, I apologize. No, no. Um, but you brought up this, um, you know, people are selfish. People that want to be their own God. He was talking about if you're a man that, if you're somebody that doesn't live for man or doesn't do for man, and you do for yourself, 
there's always chaos and division and discord around that person or around that area. You know, he causes that too. Always. There's always going to be chaos when you are thinking you're your own person, your own God, and just live for selfishness. Right. And I love the, um, and I'm sure you've heard this, the acronym for ego, edging God out, mm. you know, and you put God out, you're going to have ego. Yeah. That's what happens in the Garden of Eden. They think they were God. They think they were new better. They listened to the serpent, uh, the father of lies, because he twists the truth. And we get that a lot with what you were saying earlier. Yeah. Well, let's, let's run with that because an ego is a personal system, mm-hmm. right? So what happens if there's many little self-directed systems? Imagine our universe if there wasn't a coordinator, right? Imagine molecules of, in the body if they did not obey the design, right? Imagine traffic if there was no traffic laws. I mean, there's so much evident proof. Third world countries. <laughs> yeah. yeah. A, a, any system must be subject to a higher guidance or it'll cause chaos because the self-motivated drive of all the competing systems will bump into each other's divergent goals. So, um, yeah, so how can they create a firewall or a method to protect uh, against these individuals, these hackers, these people that are infiltrating our kids' minds? Um, I mean, there's something that you recommend. Let me just jump on that. If sure, you, sure. Yeah. So what, how can we firewall our kids off from being vulnerable to the attacks of the world, let's say. The first way is by establishing a home environment that is harmonious. Sin always produces disharmony. Mm -hmm. So now it's kind of like Las Vegas. If you've ever been to Las Vegas, you know, the front of everything is attractive and exciting. Right. But you walk around in the back of the building And in the alley, it's ugly, there's garbage being strewn, there's people sleeping against the wall on the street, etc., right? Yeah. So sin might produce some kind of fascination for a season, but if your children have been raised in an environment of peace and harmony, before long they'll recognize that what they're swallowing elsewhere is not producing peace, and there is no harmony. Um... If you look at Romans 1 and read the description of the... Let's do that, matter of fact. Sure, sure. Psalm 37, 1. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. So first of all, in your home, that there be no envy of those who are doing wrong. Right? Mm. Express verbally and display in the environment that you don't long for anything that the world offers. You have what you need within the environment of what God has provided. Yes. For they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. The do good is a synonym for keep God's commandments. Be guided by his instructions. Okay. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Once again, the same idea, but they added to it, be consistent in the practice of following God's instructions. 
Delight yourself in the Lord. That's the opposite of desiring what the world offers. Yes. Be delighted in the Lord and what he provides, and he will give you the desires of your heart. It's amazing how that works. <laughs> Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Now, you practice that as a husband and a wife, and your children will note it mm. in their in the home. So that's that's where you start. But let's go to Romans 1, because I wanted to highlight yeah, what the definitely. results are. I love Romans. Of rejecting God's ways. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So first of all, you'll notice a lack of logic. If a child has been educated well, they'll, they'll start to say, this doesn't make sense. This is not coherent. You just made a statement, but it doesn't add up, or it's inconsistent with the statement you made before. Mm -hmm. So they ought to be able to notice that. Um, for what can be known about God is plain, for his invisible attributes, etc. Dropping down to verse 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God. Boom, that's the opposite of what, that's exactly what's happening in our society. People are trying to say, I am the definer, God is not. They did not honor him as God. By the way, God is so practical. Deuteronomy 8. Uh, especially verse 10, but then as it goes through the end of the chapter, explains why gratitude is essential to avoiding idolatry. Because you will be tempted to say, my power and the might of my strength of my hand have brought me these physical blessings. And God says, no, it's essential that you recognize this came from me. But then he's very practical. So Deuteronomy 8.10, you will eat and be full and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has provided you. So in other words, praying before we eat is never commanded in Scripture, but praying after we eat is commanded. We pray before we eat as a matter of imitating Christ, who cooperated with a local tradition of the Jews at the time and would pray before they ate. Absolutely nothing wrong with it. Great idea. Ephesians 5, 1 says, Be imitators of God, therefore like dearly beloved children, so I'm going to pray before I eat like Jesus did. However, God said specifically, Pray after you eat in order to practically not fall into failing to give gratitude where gratitude is due or not honoring God as God. So what's the difference between uh, giving gratitude before you eat rather than after you eat? I don't think there's any difference. I think we should do it both. Gotcha. But all I'm highlighting is that as Christians, we've fallen out of the practice of doing what's actually instructed to mm -hmm. us in Scripture and we've maintained the practice of doing what Jesus did, which is fantastic. Yes. Um, matter of fact, depending on what Christian tradition you are a part of, all Christians prayed both graces before and after meals up until between 75 to 150 years ago. Hmm. And so which denomination, if you will, you're a part of determines sort of when that started to fall out of the common practice. But if you'll pick up a prayer book, um, it doesn't matter whether it's Methodist or Lutheran or Anglican. You'll see graces for meals, plural. And then there'll be a recommended prayer for before eating and for after eating. Mm. But that, that's a sideline. The point is that God practically said, if you want to honor me as God, show appropriate gratitude and then do it practically when you eat. Uh, when, because why? You're going to eat two or three times a day. So that gives you the, the opportunity to remind yourself who's responsible for the blessings you're enjoying. Right. Where was that at that uh, God talks about uh, we should pray after we eat? Uh, Deuteronomy 8.10 is the specific instruction, but the entire chapter is what describes how a failure to show gratitude properly is equivalent to idolatry. I see. And or leads to idolatry. Interesting. Yeah. Deuteronomy 8, 
specifically this time. Are you saying that um, when you show gratitude, are you saying we should show gratitude to to the to God, our Creator, or just saying feeling having a sense of gratitude to our parents, or just in life in general? Well, all of the above, but most critically to God, the Creator. We have to see the other things you mentioned as subsidiary mm-hmm. to God and from Him. But it, well, the the essential thing is that we show gratitude to God. Because he's the one who's covenanted with us. He's the one who has redeemed us. He is the one who is saving us. He is the one who has provided the ability to go plow your land or count beans for somebody else or whatever the case might be. Yeah. Yeah. So it's this thankfulness to God that's essential. And just to be clear, I think you should pray before and after you eat. Why not? Yeah. Why the not? more prayer, the better, right? But you just know that the the practice of praying after we eat has fallen out of practice amongst most contemporary Christians. Mm. And I like to show how both God will give you here. Look, here's what's important. You need to honor me as God. Part of that is showing appropriate gratitude. Practically speaking, do this every time you eat because he knows how forgetful we are as creatures. Yes. But what I was going to in Romans one is this. After he talks about how dramatically they have um, wandered and that he's turned them over to their to their sinfulness, um, here's what he gives them up to. Since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, gratitude is a function of acknowledging God. Since they did, but it's not the only function, but it's one True, of them, right? Yeah. Since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. And as a consequence, I'm adding that in. Mm-hmm. Verse 29, they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, gossip, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. If you want to see whether God is right, go wander in these sinful ways and you will experience all that was there just described. Mm-hmm. Disobedience to parents. It's huge. Yeah. Nowadays. <laughs> um, that's really good. Thank you for um, explaining that uh, the firewall is for our children. Godly based, a godly based home. And for those, what would you say for those people that uh, don't practice having those same beliefs as we do? Well, it gets, oh, in other words, if they're not necessarily Christians. Correct. They're still. Well, and first of all, I'm only mentioning like where you begin. <laughs> so understood. Um, but that's yeah, that's not yeah, that's yeah. the the sure. base. And again, before I move on to what you just asked, to be clear, if you want to establish harmony and peace in your home, the labor towards that intent begins first in the relationship between husband and wife. Mm-hmm. Once kids en- enters the picture, it starts in the high chair. Mm-hmm. There will be a battle of wills in the high chair. <laughs> yes. And it is absolutely essential that the parent wins that battle. Mm-hmm. Because what they are doing is preparing the child to receive instruction from a benevolent outside force. Later, you will begin to teach them critical thinking so that they can recognize someone who's pretending to be benevolent but trying to take advantage of them. Right. But an infant, a four-year-old, a seven-year-old, that's not who you teach critical thinking, although you begin to add it in more and more and more, right? But at in the high chair place, it's you will accept my instruction. And God begins that way. 
He begins to form us in the right habit structures from external force. And then as we mature, we become increasingly um, characterized by self-control. But back to the question of those who aren't Christians. Okay. You don't have to acknowledge that there is a God who is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, whose covenant name is Yahweh, in order to recognize the body of truth of that which is objectively ident- recognizable as good, beautiful, and true that has persisted over millennia. So you can still classically um, structure your home, classically train your children, simply by embracing the body of knowledge that has been cultivated um, largely in what we have called Western civilization, although that's somewhat of a misnomer. I mean, we often think of Aristotle as one of the fathers of Western civilization, but he was from Greece. <laughs> that's not exactly Western. Mm-hmm. Um, nevertheless, the Greco-Roman world shaped much of what we now call Western civilization. Today, we live at a time where that's being attacked, mm-hmm. and we need to recover what is good there. Now, that doesn't mean it's all good. So we have to be willing to reject tradition that's inconsistent with the principles. And Christian or non-Christian can do that. We're seeing that happen more and more. There's a book out there called Dominion by a um, PhD historian named Tom Holland, not to be confused with the Spider-Man actor. (laughs) But Tom Holland is an atheist, and yet he's written a book demonstrating from history that Christianity has been good for the world. Interesting. Quite remarkable book. There's another one by Thomas Nagel, an agnostic philosopher who demonstrates from the from logic and reason that the neo-Darwinian worldview is logically impossible. So you don't have to be a Christian to embrace these ideals, although you should be. I'm not talking in defense of a generally theistic worldview, but that's better for you than a non-theistic or atheistic worldview. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. And so if you, if you are one of those people who finds himself, uh, I'm not quite sure what is the case, about metaphysical things, spiritual things, mm-hmm. um, or who is like, I am militantly against the idea that there is a single God who created the earth. That's fine. You can still go in pursuit of the good, the beautiful, and the true, and you will find a consistent strain that goes back 10,000 years. There is truth and there is order for everybody, right? Mm-hmm. Whether you believe in God or not, it's already in, set in place. Whether you believe in God or not, we're still going to burn our hand on the stove. Exactly. So. You jump into an unfilled pool, you will break something. Yes, exactly. Uh, So, raising our children, there's parameters. There's laws of, um, I wouldn't say physics, but laws of raising your kids. Well, both. Laws of reality. Yes. Yeah. For raising your kids is across the board for everybody. And you can see the, uh, you can see people, I know families without, without God in their home, but they've done the, the practical, uh, principles. Wise things. Yes. And their children end up fine. They go to college, they end up, uh, marrying great people and they have, they have harmony in their home. Totally possible. So, um, yeah. 
I'm not sure why. But, but, but those people who experience harmony in their home or in their lives, they will live their lives in accord with yeah. good reason. Mm-hmm. There's still an emptiness. <laughs> yeah, but that might be debatable. And True. someone might go out and find a, a sense of fulfillment, at least that satisfies them. Mm-hmm. Uh, homesteading in the high desert of northern Arizona, but away from society, right? So it, it can be hard to convince people that they have an emptiness at times. It is. Others are like, uh, no, I'm, I'm searching and open to various options. That's yeah. great. But um, there's certain things that are not negotiable in terms of how they function. Dallas Willard, who was a professor of philosophy at the University of Southern California, used to say, reality is what you bump into when you try to ignore it. And that's true. Yeah. Part of that is, if you raise your kids according to the principles of anarchy, they will inherit chaos. Yes. It's how the world works. It's like a, you bring a stallion home, whether you believe in God or not, they're going to buck and kick. And they don't care what you believe in. <laughs> they're just wild. So you got to tame them. And and the, the people that um, – the Christians or the non-atheists – have the same um, knowledge on how to tame a horse, how to bridle a horse, the horse will be able to be obedient. Just like children. What's the name of that guy who does dog Cesar something? He's a dog trainer. His dog training shows are the best parenting shows or human training shows I've ever seen in my life. Really? And and actually nowadays, he's got a new version I haven't ever watched, but in the promo for it, he says, I don't train dogs, I train people. And I went, he got it. That's exactly what's happening. Oh, yeah. Cesar Malone's uh, Dog Nation. That might be it, yeah. Dog Whisperer Cesar Malone. Malone. M-I-L-L-A-N. Something like that. Yeah. Now, Here's a guy who has an emptiness inside of him. Uh, at one point, his earlier show was canceled because he attempted suicide. Hmm. Nevertheless, tremendous insight into human and canine behavior and tons of practical wisdom. So he can create harmony amongst dogs and people by following these basic principles of how humans and dogs work, right? Of how reality is. But he hasn't satisfied the longing within himself for something greater. Mm-hmm. And we, of course, don't know the details. I'm not trying to critique him. We're just right. using this as an example. Understood. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I like a look into that. Cool. That's, that's cool. Uh, one last thing, Nathan. I'm sure that there are listeners out there, parents who have children who have already succumbed to the lies and deceptions of their adversaries. So what advice would you give parents that are going through that right now. You've just heard part one of the series, Can Kids Be Hacked? with Nathan Long, keeping our children safe from mental hacking and character intrusion. Please stay tuned for next week on part two. Thank you for listening. God bless and champ up and champ on. Thank you so much for listening to the Champ 180 podcast. I really appreciate your time and tuning in. Again, this is Adam Childress, but I'd like to leave you with a few things to uh, live by daily. 
Now let's be thankful. Be kind. Believe in yourself. Never give up. Help others. Cherish family and friends. Do your best. Listen with your heart. Laugh often. And love lots. Until next time, God bless.